Good morning, everyone. When you hear the word church, very often different people think of very different things. Frequently, people think of a building. They say, when are we going to build a church? Or when are we going to repair a church? Or when are we going to visit a church? The problem with this definition as being an exclusive definition is that for the first 300 years, there actually weren't any physical church buildings like we know them today. For a very simple reason that after the death and resurrection of Christ, all those who proclaimed the name of Christ were persecuted for their faith. You know the history of the Roman Empire who persecuted the church and basically tried to wipe out Christianity from the time of St. Paul all the way till the time of an emperor by the name of Constantine who stopped the persecution of Christianity after he won a battle, after he had saw, after he saw a sign, after he saw the sign of the cross in the sky and heard a voice that said to him, by the sign you will be victorious. So to think of the church as a building is partially correct, but not complete. Some see the church as the hierarchy or an organization. Uh, so people would say, the church should do this or that, as if the church somehow mystically exists somewhere where you press the button and things that should be done are done, or that the priests and the bishops and the, perhaps the Pope get together and they decide um, the speed of lightning or how things around the world should be done and it just happens. The church should do this or that. And in this way, people end up seeing the church, whether they fully recognize that they're doing this or not, as the Pope, the patriarchs, the bishops, the priests, the deacons, and maybe a few people who are helping or volunteering all the, around the church. And although we find the structure of leadership of the church in the Acts of the Apostles as consisting of bishops, priests, and deacons, this too is not the fullness of the church. The proper definition of the church is a very simple phrase, the people of God, the people of God, the entire people of God. In Greek, laos tu theou, and that is where we get the English word laity, L-A-I-T-Y, the people. And uh, if you open up your prayer books, the divine liturgy books, even the books sometimes point in a direction that is not fully comprehensive or accurate with regards to the church. So you have some prayers with the heading, the priest, and then other prayers, the heading, the people, as if they are two. Whereas, in fact, the priest and the people form the people of God. The people of God refers to all the people of God, every single one of them, working in harmony with each other. And not only working in harmony at an earthly level, let's say we need to work in harmony to organize an event, a party, um, a landscape project. We need to work in harmony so that one person is not doing something in another. But that even that is not enough. It's not just working in harmony to decide on a paint color that is trendy today but may not be trendy tomorrow, but it is working in harmony with Jesus who lived in harmony with the Father. And that's what's highlighted in today's readings. Churches frequently celebrate anniversaries of the establishment of their parish. 
For example, I'm not sure if you knew this, St. Anne was established around 1909 in our parish as a mission in 1973. So we might say, wow, our church was established at that time. Some see a more theological and a wider view of the church, and they say the church was established on Pentecost Sunday, which we will celebrate next week. And maybe going a little further, putting that in context, as prepared for with Jesus' life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, and ascension into heaven, and then sending forth the Holy Spirit to animate, to bring to life, to fill with the Spirit, the people of God. These are all very important elements of the church. Those are true, but there's more. All these elements together, the Spirit, but today's readings and our understanding of the church is not even limited to the New Testament. Because we speak of the church as sometimes the domestic church, the household church, some have liked to see the establishment of the church as going further back, all the way back to the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve and their family. That was the first family that was the church. So therefore, the church goes back, goes back historically, through history, through ecumenical councils, through emperors, through popes, through bishops, to the time of Christ, but also the church goes back even further to the establishment of the world through the first family, Adam and Eve and their children. And in addition to that, in addition to going back, the church also goes forward. That goes forward to our family. You are the domestic church at home. And you come to church with your family to form the parish church. And our parish church, together with other churches living in unity, form the universal church. So what is very important for us when we think of the word church is that not just one image comes to our mind and exclusively that one image, but we begin to see the comprehensive nature of this word as containing all these different elements together. They have a long history of many people and churches of a variety of shapes and sizes. In addition to this and related to this, uh, whereas one element of the church that I mentioned briefly earlier are councils, meetings that took place. The first being at the Council of Nicaea in the, in the year 325. And the reason why this council was so important is that after Constantine stopped the persecution of Christianity, he decided to move his empire from Rome to a location that was, that was a little more central in the entire Roman Empire, which corresponds today to the area of Europe, the Middle East, and Northern Africa. So if you can image, picture that image. He was, on, he was living the Roman Empire, and the capital was on the western part of the Roman Empire, but he decided to move it to a little fishing city called Byzantium, and he renamed the city, in a very humble way, the city of Constantine, Constantinople, my city. So imagine if you were an emperor, you decided to move your capital somewhere and then just rename it the city of Constantine. So he renamed it Constantinople, and it became the center of the Roman Empire. And the people began to know or refer to that city, in addition to referring to it as Constantinople, they began to refer to it as the New Rome or the New Capital. And that's why in Arabic and in Greek, the word room is an important one, referring to our church and the Orthodox Church. We refer to ourselves as the Rome Catholic, 
which literally means the Byzantine Catholics, the Catholics that follow the Byzantine rite of the Catholic Church. In other words, we are the Catholics of the New Rome Empire. In English, the translation gets messed up because Rome sounds very much like Rome. So our, the name of our church sometimes gets translated as the Roman Catholic Church, but it's not correct. And the Orthodox Church is the Rome Orthodox, the Byzantine Orthodox churches because of Constantine who moved that empire, and the emperor, the empire capital to the new Rome and Byzantium, Constantinople, and today Istanbul became the capital of that western, of the, of the entire Roman Empire in the, year, in, in the year 311. But then in the year 325, what he realized was since the churches were spread out throughout the entire Roman Empire, and they never had an opportunity to meet with each other, to discuss with each other important topics, and to create a sort of unity, he felt that it was important that not only was the empire united, but that the church was united on so many fronts. And so he called together all the bishops of the world into one of the suburbs of Constantinople named Nicaea, and he asked them, he gave them freedom to gather, he gave them protection to gather, and he also helped them arrive there safely um, from there, from where, where, wherever they were throughout the entire Roman Empire and even beyond the Roman Empire. And he asked them to create some sort of unity. Now, if you can imagine, put ourselves back into his, the church history, even if you don't know the details of it, but put yourself back. Imagine if the church was persecuted. There was no ability to communicate via email or all sorts of social media networks. So when somebody came to the church to be baptized, the local community, as we see in the Acts of the Apostles, consisting of the deacons, the presbyters, um, and the overseers, the bishops, along with the other people, the people of God, would come up with some sort of formula that in order for you to be baptized, you and your entire household, like we saw last week, you'd need to at least profess a certain number of elements of the faith. So that was done in Egypt, that was done in Antioch, that was done in Rome, that was done in Ephesus, that was done all over. And you can imagine, since there was no communication between each other, some were slightly different. Not that they were contradictory to each other, but some were longer and some were shorter. And so the amazing thing that happened in, in, in Nicaea was when they all gathered, they saw each other's baptismal formulas, and they said, let's form one based on these, but based on how we've been also living our faith for these last 300 years in the underground, which was based on the Bible, on the teachings of the Bible. And so they put together what, was, what is called today the Nicaean-Constantinopolitan Creed because it was started at the Council of Nicaea but continued at the Second, Council of, uh, uh, Second Ecumenical Council, Council of Constantinople. And the beautiful thing is that three, at, from the year 325 until today, that creed remains the one creed that all Christians follow, whether you're Orthodox, whether you're a Catholic, whether you're a Protestant, everyone follows this Nicene-Constantinopolitan creed. And particularly in our churches, we ask people to recite this creed first when they are baptized, to remind ourselves that we are, you are not being baptized into the parish of Holy Cross. You're not being baptized into the larger community of either Orange County, L.A. County, or Riverside County. You're not even being baptized into the church 
of America, even though it's the church in America. We are being baptized into the universal church, universal Catholic church, the one that belongs to the whole, all together. In other words, even at a universal level today, we are reciting a creed that everyone around the world is reciting. We start recite it first in our baptism, and then every Sunday when we gather, we remind ourselves that one of the reasons why we gather is to live out our baptismal promises and to live out our baptismal mission, which was started in our baptism. You see the connection? But then even greater than that, as great as that may be, that today around every single Catholic church and every single Orthodox church around the entire world, they are reciting the, the, the Nicene Creed. In addition to the beauty of that, the church is not limited to 2021, the historical reality of today, even universally. It goes back all the way, of course, as we said, um, to either the New Testament or the Old Testament, but specifically in that formulation since the year 325. Imagine that, a creed, a formula, a paragraph, a prayer that has been, that has been recited in its entirety universally since the year 325 and, and is maintained up to us today. And that's what we celebrate today on this Sunday between Ascension Thursday, which was Thursday, and Pentecost Sunday to reemphasize all these many elements of the church, the living church, the people's church, the hierarchical church, the physical church, but also the believing church that unites to teach something specifically. It's not an idea. We are living in a world where a lot of people, uh, we become indi very individualistic. And what that would mean in the context of the church, people say, you know, I don't believe what the church says, I believe this. Well, in a sense, what you're doing is you're establishing your own church. You're establishing your own ideas. You don't have to believe sometimes in certain colors or certain vestments or whatever, but that belief, the, the teachings of the church are both historical and also rooted scripturally. So that's why it's important for us to be consistent in what we believe. Because we don't just go to church, we are church. We are the living church. That's why these readings today, both of them, and actually the entire Acts of the Apostles, I always recommend for everyone, my weekly recommendation perhaps is always to read the Bible. But especially during this time after Easter, Pentecost season, specifically focus on the Acts of the Apostles and realize just how the church flourished, how the church moved from uh, 11, 12, 11, 12 again, people to crowds, to no crowds, and then crowds again. Jesus on the cross with no one other than Mary and John to a universal over a billion, two billion, in some, depending how you calculate it, number of people. How did that take place? And we see the roots of that in the Acts of the Apostles where the church began to grow and the power and ministry of Jesus was also extended to those who believed in him and were imitated in so many ways of healing, of teaching, of the power of proclamation in so many ways. So today's readings highlight all these important elements of the church as the people of God, all, all of us, priests, people, together, the people. And what do they do? Do they gather simply to talk about things? No, they are, they are united with the message of Jesus, of Jesus' ministry. And in today's gospel, we emphasize that Jesus' ministry, who was united with the mission of the Father. 
connection there. And also in these readings, that was established from the beginning of the world, historically, but then also that has a mission up until the end of the world. So that's a much fuller description of the church than just a building with walls, doors, windows. Let's look at a few of these key verses to see how this basically um, is seen in these readings. In the Acts of the Apostles, in those days, Paul decided to sail past Ephesus so as not to waste time in Asia, for he was hurrying as much as he could in order to reach Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, however, he had sent an invitation to Ephesus for the presbyters of the church. When you read the Bible, always notice people, places, and things. And particularly in this way, in this passage, we see that Paul was preaching in Asia, in Jerusalem, in Ephesus, and he was preaching in those places and then returned to be with the other members of the church who had been preaching and teaching in all the other places. So there you also see a pattern of what we do every Sunday. We go out into the world, we do, some people are, have different, everybody has a different occupation, but then we come back to gather for that, to show that unity, to be strengthened in that unity, and then we go out again, then we come back again, we go out again. That pattern, that element was found right from the beginning of the early church. St. Paul could have said, I already have the message, I'm going to go do whatever I want. He gathered, the Holy Spirit was given to them, they went out, they gathered again, and they went out. So there were particular people and there were particular places in today's readings. But in addition to that, throughout the, old, old, throughout the whole New Testament, especially the Acts of the Apostles, we hear of other places like Antioch, of Rome, of Corinth, etc., etc. In addition to places, we hear of people who organized around a structure consisting of leaders and the flock. And that terminology was used right from the beginning. This was not a later invention or a later development. We hear in today's reading, presbyters, equivalent to today's priests, overseers, equivalent to today's bishops and deacons, although not present in this particular today's reading, but found several times in the, in the Acts of the Apostles. And in addition to places, peoples, and structure, and this is the connection to the Council of Nicaea, we also hear of specific teachings where St. Paul says he has redeemed us through his own blood. Specific teaching that what we are focusing on is a teaching of Christ's death and resurrection, but seen within the context of the entire plan of salvation. And that's why it's very important to reflect on the church as a past element, as a present element, and a future element. Because St. Paul also emphasizes, and Jesus himself in, in this reading, both together, speaks of current dangers and divisions that existed then and continue to exist today. For I know this, St. Paul tells us, that after I am gone, fierce wolves will get in among you and will not spare the flock. And from among you, some men will rise, speaking perverse doctrines, to draw away the disciples after them. Well, this issue, this problem has continued throughout all of time, from the time of Christ, actually even the yeah, time of the Old Testament, there were divisions and dangers. So what is the source of unity? 
Is it me getting up here telling you what you should be doing the rest of the week? Nope. Is it um, some official publication? No. Nope. It's the Bible, the Word of God, as lived by the community for the last 2,000 years, not lived in isolation. And this is where we disagree with some of our well, Protestant brothers and sisters who feel it's the Word of God in isolation of everything else. And we say, no, there's a history to the Bible and there's a history to the reading of the Bible that is not determined by the priests or the bishops, but actually you are an important part of that. And that is a completely different or different uh, story that I can share with you of how the entire people of God have read the Bible and lived it, priests and people together. And it's very important today with, with the fact that we are bombarded with news and all sorts of messages and, and uh, social media and publication, everything, that pulls us in all sorts of directions and tries to fight for our attention. Sometimes there's a celebrity, they become so popular, everybody wants to follow that person. There's a new show, people want to binge watch it and just they, ha they, they can't do anything but watch the show. They begin to act like celebrities, begin to imitate them and begin to follow them in ways that are really not very healthy. How are we following Christ? Our source of unity is the Bible. Do we judge ourselves based on what we want to live that is based on our celebrities or do we base it on the Word of God? That is our source of unity. And sometimes people want men and women of faith to conform to what is happening around them rather than us living our faith in order to be a light that shines in the darkness. So these divisions were present then they're continually present, they're, they, may, they are present here and today in our midst as well, and we have to be aware of those divisions. But St. Paul and Jesus in these re readings tell us to be faithful. How do we be faithful? We're faithful by knowing church history, by knowing that we need to be consistent and we need to be rooted in the apostolic faith that we so proudly hold. He says, watch therefore, and remember that for three years, night and day, I did not cease to warn you with tears, every one of you. In this, St. Paul emphasizes that this was not something that he just showed up, gave the message, and took off. This was a consistent teaching throughout all of time. And this was also one of the marks of the true church in the early church, is what a particular area is teaching consistent with what is being taught. People said, we have scriptures, we have, re we have writings of the apostles. They said, great, show them to us. Are they consistent with what the other churches have? Or are they something that you have produced on your own? Be faithful, be consistent, be apostolic. This is the picture of the church that St. Paul paints to us, that the Acts of the Apostles shows us was lived in the early church, and that Jesus himself points to. And that's why, it's very briefly, two verses from the Gospel of John that emphasize this very important element of the church. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. Since you have given him power over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given. A very, very rich and deep element of today's Gospel. Jesus glorified the Father by doing the works of the Father, and then he expects us to do his works 
which were the works of the Father that existed, that exists, whom he existed with since the beginning of the world. Why? For eternal life. Once again, not backwards, but forwards. We do this. Jesus showed us the life of the Trinity, and in so living our life according to the life of the Trinity, when we die, we re-enter, we enter into the life of that very Trinity. Jesus also speaks of unity. He tells us to be one as he and the Father are one. So it's very important to see all these different elements of the church, to know that the church is not one-dimensional, one not a building, it's not glass windows, it's not the divine liturgy, it's not the priest standing before you, and it's not the bishop when he comes in isolation of all these elements together, although each and every one of those elements are core structures of the church that go back to apostolic times. We need to know, we need to correct whatever misunderstanding of the church that we may have, and most importantly, we need to live that universal calling that each and every one of us has of being living and active members of the church. The church, yes, as a nice building, the clergy, yes, as important elements of it, but neither of these together, neither of these isolation, but the church of God, that the building and your presence in it manifests that unity in a world, outside world, to affirm the significance of our gathering, and at home to strengthen each individual who is a living and active member and living ministry of the church. This is why we celebrate today the Council of Nicaea, 325, and in so doing, we look back, we look at the historical elements of Nicaea, we also look forward to see the full elements of the church for us to always realize that we are the church together as the people of the living God.